How do we get onto capes from historical? Sorry, Tudors. Yeah, I uh, think the question is, Amy, why don't we talk about capes more often? Why is this podcast <laughs> just about capes? Yeah, we could do. To be fair, I'm going to write this down. We're going to do one week about historic capes. <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm writing it down. Welcome to the Historians in Training podcast with Amy, Corey and Josh. Say hi guys. Hello everyone. Today we are going to be talking about heritage and well field trips, school field trips, basically what we remember as kids going to do history projects, all that kind of stuff. So anyone can get us started really. Well being from the north you know it's probably not predict not surprising to anyone that the education system has sent me down the coal mines, just like my ancestors for hundreds of years, at least two or three times in my life. But while I am being a little bit snarky, the uh, National Coal Mining Museum is actually pretty cool, to be fair. Just maybe not for repeat visits. <laughs> it is, fun fact, it is literally an old mine and they literally just send you down into the mine. That is the museum. There is a sort of traditional museum part, but it is it is literally stick a, a helmet on a bunch of kids and send them down a mine shaft. <laughs> do, what do a they, great way to experience they, history, though. Do they uh, send the Malvius kid off first, dressed as a canary, just to see what happens to him? They should have done, really. They should have sent them with a malfunctioning light as well, yeah. so they can't find the way back. Was that kid you, Corey? <laughs> be honest. I always did feel really lonely on those trips. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's standing 12 feet behind you. <laughs> yeah, no, but um, I, I am taking the mick a bit. My memory of it is a little bit blurred now. It's been a long time since I've been, but seriously, like, if, you ever, if you're ever up in that part of the, of the UK, it is really, uh, really cool. And I, I would really recommend it. Do they have a kind of host to guide you through the mine and, like, tell you about it? No, they just set the kids free. It, it's it's more like the Hunger Games, Amy. You oh, go wow. down the shaft and then... All you get is the HB pencil. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't bring enough coal back, you don't get your supper. That's how it is in the north, right? <laughs> Sounds harsh. No, no, there is a there is a guide there, don't worry. And it, um, it is quite... I'm trying to remember it. I think it is, it is very... Um, it is a little bit scary. I think. Yeah, as young kids, were you in primary school when you went? You see, I, I think I was. Yeah, I think this is like towards the end of primary school, I reckon. Maybe like the start of secondary school, around that time. I've been at least twice, I think, in school trips. It is quite an experience. Like, it is, it is genuinely quite intimidating. You don't feel in danger or anything, obviously. It is very safe, but it is quite intimidating all the same, coming down, going down a, an old metal elevator into basically a dark cave, right? Does it give you a sense of what it must have been like being a child labourer in a mine? Well, you, you, you joke, but yeah. No, no, I'm not, I'm not joking. I mean, I'm, I'm not joking. Oh, right. Child labour is a thing that happened in mines. It's not... Yeah, I mean, I, you definitely get... a a little bit of that. I mean, there definitely it's one of those museums which is more geared to sort of showing you what the experience was like rather than just going into like a traditional British museum style look at all the exhibits, right? There is a little bit of that before you you go down, but it is definitely geared towards, you know, showing you the experience, right? I think that's the case with a lot of school trips. Yeah. The experience really is what they're trying to push across rather than make you sit or stand and go around a load of historical objects, which these days would be amazing for us. But as a kid, yeah. it's just kind of like, okay, it's a that, that's a that's a dress that was, you know, Victorian dress, cool, cool, you know, whatever. Yeah. But mm-hmm. I remember it's far more engaging, right? Oh uh, yeah, I think probably. it's a great way to make history really interactive and it really gives you that experiential side to it that- however what point do you think they go too far because i did a victorian thing as a primary school student and so they did this whole kind of like oh this would be this is what it's like if you were students in a victorian school which was great that sounds so fun it was fun did you get caned no no we didn't get caned but the, the mouthy kids not very got, realistic the mouthy kids got pretend cane so 
because even at this stage we were sort of aware so what would happen is she took three students who were talking out and then obviously had like a carpet or something and smacked it with the cane thing and then she told those kids to come in looking like all hurt and stuff I think the thing that struck me was we had these blackboards which you had to write on and now I wasn't very good at spelling at this point so I did spell something wrong which prompted me to be wearing a dunce cap for the rest of the lesson now I understand that's historically relevant, but that's still singling out a student for not being able to spell properly in front of his peers. Yeah. I guess they had to make it as real as they could. Yeah, make it as real as they could, but you know. Does uh, yeah, seem and... a little bit cruel. Well, no, it's, it's... Is that modern, where your obsession with hats modern. has come from, John? Yeah, it's where I wear always hats, but have you noticed you've never seen me in a party hat because I can't wear the cone hats anymore because oh, of the dunce It's trauma. It is trauma. No, I mean, the reenactment was fun, though. It was interesting to see, but obviously yeah. we were probably playing students who were a bit more well off than others because we were actually going into school in victorian times oh yeah that's mm, true but that's yeah true. I, I the kind of walking tours are interesting because obviously they have they hire i don't know if it's just staff or actors or something to just be there doing like laundry doing the everyday victorian tasks while these students are going around so yeah you don't think about it when you're a student, but obviously they must like wait around the corner for students to turn up and then go, right, okay, let's do this. They can't just be doing that all day, every day. But Well, you know, they've got to stay in character, haven't they? But no, I would imagine yeah. they'll, they'll kind of flick a switch and I mean, channel their inner Victorian when, when they have to. <laughs> I, I did um, go to a place like that uh, in his core trip as well, which was, it was a Tudor house instead. And, for life of me, I can't find or remember the name, but it was, you know, very like that, as in it's supposed to be like a, a living Tudor house, right? And the kids are all sent to do random stuff throughout the day. Yeah. But like, I remember they asked volunteers for parents and my mum volunteered. And my mum was actually taken to the kitchen and dressed up as a Tudor and made to cook all day. <laughs> so... And as far as I'm aware, yeah, she genuinely was cooking all day as a volunteer she, tutor. And, and she uh, didn't get paid for it, so... No, <laughs> no free she was labor. a volunteer. Free maybe labor. Some, yeah, but I imagine yeah. I imagine she probably got to eat some food, which possibly was more than the tutors were paid at that point anyway. I, I, I did a tutor thing as well, a uh, place near where I live called Wollerton Hall. We went on a school trip there. And Wollerton Hall is kind of one of these like, recreational places, like the type you go take a dog to walk or something yeah. so you yeah. you're on the land so often but then as a student you as well as a primary school student you're like okay here's the historical element of it and then we were dressed up as tudors and yeah and at the time you think oh god i, I like the the tights were a major problem but the cape i love the cape yeah i could see you wearing capes josh if I'm wearing surprised. a cape still go a... with your hat if wearing yeah. a cape was acceptable, I would wear a cape all the time. Channel your inner Marvel superhero as well. Josh, well, you've got to make wearing capes acceptable. I, I fully yeah. expect you, when we next get back to uni, in our master's seminar, for you to stride confidently in. Cape so, billowing behind me. I'll, exactly. I'll, I'll have to I'll have to pay someone to, like, uh, I'll have to pay another student to uh, walk in front of me with a fan, just so I'm... Um, Exactly. Yeah. The lecturers will love it. Yeah, yeah. They, they would. As long as I as long as long I come up with some historic reason for doing so. Oh, yeah. No, no, just don't even acknowledge it. Just make the cape normal, right? Make it seem like this just, is the most normal day in the world for you. You're just a cape. A cape. Yeah, and how, people will emulate you. You're a trendsetter, Josh. I'm really not a trendsetter. <laughs> how do we get onto capes? From historical Sorry, stuff. Tudors. Yeah. I uh, think the question is, Amy, why don't we talk about capes more often? Why is this podcast <laughs> just about capes? Yeah, we could do to be fair, I'm gonna write this down. We're gonna do one week about historic capes. Okay. I'm, I'm writing it. it down. I don't know if we'll actually be able to find a relevance there. Oh, uh, surely some I'm sorry, but we we in the past have done quizzes on gloves, we've done quizzes True. on dresses. We can do quizzes on like capes capes existed before superheroes, so that is true. Okay, mm. I'm I'm down for that. Yeah. Uh but yeah, so <laughs> so we had the we had the whole Tudor experience with the dressing up and then you know, everything was called luncheon and then oh, for the yeah. next for the nice. next year for the next year for some reason i never said the word lunch i just said luncheon so as soon as you said luncheon <laughs> my brain just goes to downtown abbey like straight away 
one you of know, my favorite shows. That's kind of what these historical places are trying to do. They're trying to get the kids to interact as if they were partaking in that kind of lifestyle. It's an interesting way of doing things. I mean, it's certainly not something that you get when you're just walking around a museum. No. But no. then when you're a kid walking around your museum, you're not like... I mean, I don't know about you guys, but this is something I've noticed, which is when you're... So there's places I've revisited as an adult now that I'm really historically interested in going, oh, wow, that's really interesting. And I remember mm-hmm. going as a kid just being like, uh, yeah. Like, yeah. you're just waiting to visit the the park bit or the and then your parents walk around you're just like and now i'm now i'm very much on the wow this is amazing and part of that i blame on my um architectural history course which now makes me look oh, yeah. at every time i look at a building like an old building i'm just like oh wow that's classical architecture oh that's gothic oh that's very reminiscent of george and like yeah. that's what i do now hot beams <laughs> no it really is it's, it's really like oh my god the ventilation is way further along than many of its counterparts in other cities yeah. and genuinely that's the stuff i'm looking at now i i really love it but as a kid i would have just been like that's oh, a it's an archway i'm like no it's a pointed archway which means (laughs) (laughs) so but i don't know if you guys have the same sort of thing especially with places that you've uh, like places around nottingham i noticed now nottingham castle which used to just be oh robin hood and i'm just like no that's got some historical significance you know nottingham Mm. castle i think i think it must be a really big task for museums currently to kind of keep up with the times as it were and to make their exhibits more interactive because obviously they want to engage younger children that may not be engaged in obviously the normal the normal traditional um, museum exhibits so I think it's like we've seen with the box there's a lot of interactive elements even though they may seem quite traditional in their form they've added little things to to make them more interactive and appeal to younger children and families. I think there's something interesting though in the sense that when you talk because we talk about obviously uh, engaging younger children with this sort of more interactive experience less sort of just looking at traditional exhibits but do these sort of like have you found as adults like going back to places like I know we've all been to Jorvik for example these kind of experiential museums do they are they still as engaging as adults as they were as kids does the dynamic sort of reverse itself as you grow up and you're more interested in traditional exhibits and you're well, less and does the experience feel a bit gimmicky as an adult do you think are you asking if we become more boring yeah basically right i have i'm sure <laughs> i don't know about your bit because i have only been there as a kid i haven't revisited it as sure. an adult but i have i did visit the black country living museum early on in secondary school so when I was quite younger and then I revisited again before I went to university and I found them I found it just as interesting the second time round maybe even a bit more because I was older and I might have had you know that kind of more developed thinking and thought more about kind of questions and things which I wouldn't have thought of when I was younger Um, and I actually really love these kind of open-air living museums I'd love to go to the ones in America that we've been learning about recently because they just seem so... It's kind of like when you're reading historical fiction, right? And you get that kind of like really clear experience side of things that we may not necessarily look at when we're studying history for essays or, or whatever. So it's kind of the same thing. You're kind of putting yourself in that time period. You're kind of getting a sense of the smell, what it looked like, what it felt like to be in that time period, which we sometimes might miss studying history at our kind of level. Definitely. I mean, there's only so much you can get from actually um, looking at books, you know, to be blunt, right? There is definitely a value in, in seeing it depicted. Uh, yeah, I, and I think that there, there's always a level of appreciation, especially when you're an adult. So when you're younger, it's easy to do these kind of exhibits because it gets the kids engaged whereas there are some things that as an adult you may be so aware of in comparison to when you're a kid so if you took a kid around a world war ii museum they might understand world war ii a bit but well, as an adult going it's very much and you've studied it it's wow this is a real 
this is a real piece of history and, and everything. So I think best example I've got is, so I'm an explorer leader and then we go to Jersey every few years and we visit one, we visit um, one of the um, underground bunkers, which, and Jersey was actually occupied by the Nazis, one of the few places that were not occupied by the Nazis during the World War. And just this kind of museum, you can see these where these troops were, where everything happened. And they've, they've really fitted out the bunker to be just this incredible, It's it's got examples of the living space, but it's also got the historic facts, all that kind of stuff. And, you know, as a, as a, well, as a, hist- as a history student, I'm going around going, this is amazing. This is, oh, wow, I didn't know that. Oh, look at those bikes. I love bikes. And then you've got explorers. I'm just like, come on, guys, this is amazing. But then... I'd step back and go, I do appreciate that for some people, it's not going to be as exciting as it is for us, especially reading text. But I absolutely, I absolutely loved it there. And they do this, they do this really cool thing where they give you a, um, at the start, they give you like an ID card of a person that you give you the name and stuff. And it's like part of, part of the interaction there is you have to find out what happened to this individual, like during this time you have to find out because they've got information on the individuals as you go through and then you find out this person was killed this person hid this person hid someone else and i think that was what was really i think that probably got to the explorers more than like the writing and stuff i actually i love the sound of that though i love um getting to the stories when it comes to history and part of the reason why I love these kind of experience and living museums is because you really get these individual stories that sometimes we don't see when we're studying it but I love engulfing yourself in in the experience and those kind of stories I think that's actually a great idea for a museum to do something like that yeah I agree that's um that's a really uh, evocative way to put you in into the sort of um the history really um there's you know there's obviously even um the stuff we were talking about earlier of the Tudor Victorian houses of dressing you up and sending you around it kind of puts you into it right um but you don't have an identity you're just a um faceless participant right but giving you that that's that does sound quite you know a little bit more engaging I think giving you that role to play in the sort of narrative that's really cool i guess it also gives as a younger person it gives you a purpose going around the museum rather than just looking looking at the text that the curators have put together for the exhibit it's a lot more engaging for the the children they actually have a role to play and they have something to kind of find out but i wonder as well like these stories that really hit home, I wonder if it has to do with an amount of knowledge or the closeness to the event in terms of how recent it was. Because I feel like there's a tendency, I mean, you see it in horrible histories all the time, which is like, oh, this guy got his head cut off. Oh, stupid death, that kind of thing. Well, this kind of death is funny. But then when you look at it more recent it, and you hear about it in museums, it's kind of like, oh, it's horrific. Whereas if you heard about that happening to a Greek guy, a few thousand years before like during ancient greece it's kind of like it's very it's made comical you know like yeah. like like the guy who um like died of heat exhaustion because he was trying to cool himself down in the massive vat of excrement like that happened these days that would be a torture method and that would be something that's not funny and or that happened back in however past hundred years that would be something that was seen as torture rather than a hilarious method of death yeah well i think you get it's really easy to get detached isn't it i think i don't know if, if you've done the same but i've definitely been it's, it sounds horrible but yeah it, it can be funny when you're reading like doing your actual research and you found someone's done this really stupid thing and it's actually really ruined someone's life or killed them and you think yes you, you, you're not your first reaction is oh my god not you poor bugger it's it's why the hell did you do that and that's hilarious do you know what i mean like it's it's um it, it's really surreal like how you mentioned that because you know i was i was thinking about a time when i was reading about a, a guy in my, in my dissertation who was ordered to shoot at these birds they were like seagulls or something that were being pests and he uh, had a Looney Tunes moment in the sense that his gun literally exploded in his face. He's trying to shoot the bird. Like it, something went wrong with the, the gun and it blew up in his face. And I think it killed him, you know. And um, 
either that or he, he lost an arm or something like that and that's a horrible thing but the whole looney tunes nature of it, it makes you kind of funny and it's it's weird how detached you can be from history sometimes like that yeah i think there's definitely something to be said though it can be easier to do that when the historical period you're looking at is further away from from definitely. modern modern times because it doesn't feel as raw like i'm sure there were instances of situations in kind of more recent history that would have similar similar stories like that but we would think of it completely differently you think in 200 years we're going to be laughing about stuff that happens now i hope not (laughs) well maybe (laughs) yeah well we as soon as the pandemic started we all started thinking oh how are students going to be taught this yeah taught the year 2020 and like you know 30 years time i'm convinced people are going to do the whole phds on a month of 2020 (laughs) yeah Yeah. you never know guys we could be recruited for some oral history interviews on the pandemic oh dear 50 years time i I, I could be labeled as a survivor (laughs) yeah i mean it's it's not gonna have the right ring to it as you know these other stories oh we we hid you know we had to lock down we hid in an attic basement (laughs) i i played video games and oh we had a scarcity of food i had to wipe my food down so Mm. i couldn't speak to someone apart from you know on the phone or like over snapchat and that was really difficult i couldn't get any toilet roll okay no that's that's that is a problem (laughs) god i had to eat way more takeaways than normal guys it was horrible yeah (laughs) i mean that does sound horrible after a while yeah we gained so much lockdown weight yeah oh yeah right um i think we've all got an experience at a viking museum uh amy do you want to take us away on that okay i'm probably not the best person to start with because i'd literally... talk about the roller coaster I, yeah i don't remember much i was really really young but um no the Jorvik viking center in york um i remember going to with my parents as as a kid and my memory of it is is pretty hazy but all i remember is is a is a weird roller coaster ride thing with um viking characters obviously staff dressed up and also i think it tried to emulate the smells of of, of the period I, I think that might have just been the building <laughs> oh maybe i think it's just an old building full of dusty figurines and old stuff i'm gonna be honest um it was fun though and i remember it being very like interactive and and it definitely it definitely engaged me as as a child so i think it's definitely met met its aims there because it probably is more its target audience is probably more aimed at kids yeah i i I definitely say that there were i remember because it's all i don't know i can't remember if it's mannequins or if there's people and mannequins but yeah i think there's both I think. Yeah, so it it is sort of the start for some reason is a roller a small roller coaster type thing. It's just a track that you're on, but it's quite it's it's interesting. It's it's sort of being like being on a haunted house ride, but everything's historically relevant. Yes. Uh, and then I think I remember vividly a section where they told you about how Viking money works and how you had like one coin, and then literally heart you just cut that coin in half because you know and then that's when i learned about oh this was when money was worth what it was you know the money was made of actual precious metal rather than a piece of paper that links to something in a bag i'm not going to get into that but yeah so anyway i bought one of those coins and me and someone else in my primary school were very excited because it looked like the coins from the pirates of the caribbean thing so nice that, that's that's where we got excited for that bit Corey. i mean you've been there a couple of times what do you think no, I was just thinking. I was just having a quick browse on the website, and to be honest, I, my memory of this place is um, not quite what I, I thought actually as well. Um, the time ride, I think, is the um, I'm looking now is the roller coaster thing we were talking about. Yeah, I do remember that distinctly, and that it is literally supposed to take you right into. Um, viking york i suppose oh oh right so it's like a time machine thing yeah they're they're actually animatronics as well 
right i've got yeah which is um i never put that together i just thought it was a random roller coaster stuck in the music <laughs> well, this is a fun no, detail. It's supposed to be the time machine. It's it's your very own TARDIS, Josh. Oh, um, don't, let's not get into it. I, I, <laughs> I just love the idea that like a theme park just had a piece left over and we're just like, do you want this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but no, actually, I, I don't I think in fact I, I don't remember too much about it apart from the the roller coaster and the smell. Like the stuff I'm looking at on the website doesn't actually match what I remember quite a lot. So I'm not sure I can talk about it as much as I thought I'd be able to. Um, well, I mean, it must have changed in the thirty years since you've been there. I don't know how yeah. old you are, Corey. I just know you're slightly. I'm, old. I'm about seventy-five. Josh. I know. I know yeah. that you're like a couple of years older than me, which, <laughs> which automatically means, especially as we're talking about school years, when you know anyone who was one year older than you was essentially fifty. You know. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, so. it, things get fuzzy when you get to my age, Josh. Mm. You'll you understand. Yeah. But um. But yeah, <laughs> those couple of years I've got left. <laughs> Of, of a clear mind <laughs> yeah no it, it's just yeah like you guys have said basically it, it, it is i think as well we've got to remember that it is super popular right i'm pretty sure it's quite expensive as well to go to jorvik so it does strike me as one of the more well-funded sort of historical things you could go to in the country so i I imagine they can change up things quite a lot and add new things and modify stuff, right? So you've not been back there as an adult? I don't think I have. I've, I had it in my head that I had, but I'm sure I would have remembered some of this otherwise if I had. I've been to York, obviously, a few times, but I don't know if I've actually been back to the Jorvik thing, unless I've just got a terrible memory. So, okay, so I'm going to move us forward a couple of years. Well, more than a couple of years because we're moving from primary school to our first year university. So, Corey, do you want to talk to us about our first year field trip to London where we went on escapades around the city to look at all the types of museums? Yeah, we all got split into groups, didn't we? And I went to the uh, National Maritime Museum at Greenwich uh, and see the... Not just the National Maritime Museum, there's um, you know, a bunch of other things there as well, which I can't remember off the top of my na- off the top of my head and Elaine would probably kill me for forgetting them. <laughs> but uh Come on, Corey. It's these but, these are, it's boats. It's it's all it's, it's not all, all you boats. boats. Amy there. helping boats. The, it's not it's not just boats. There's lots of other things too, Josh. You know, I think this podcast is just gonna make maritime historians hate me. Yes, maybe. I I love maritime. <laughs> I love maritime history. It's just you know, I like. I like not it. your thing. Well, I if you are listening, it's just. And you like boats? Go to the National Maritime Museum at Greenwich because it is fantastic. <laughs> yeah. It's got some great paintings. I've I've heard. Yes, I love looking at paintings of boats, <laughs> and they are they are there are there is hundreds of them, and they are fantastic. Um, but it isn't just that there's obviously um there's a lot of stuff it is a fantastic museum and it you know goes up if you're more into sort of the second world war the first world war there's some fantastic um you know exhibits on that as well but it's a it's a it's a very it's quite a big museum i'd say and uh you could definitely spend most of the day there to be honest um there is some phenomenal art in there but like traditional exhibits have got that too right um and it's right it's very close to the um, the uh, Cutty Sark as well, which is um, it is literally, to my understanding, the sort of like, you know, like the Hitchmas Victory exhibit, which I'm sure you'll better talk about as well, Amy. But um, yeah. it is literally, uh, you know, the boat. It's an old sort of sailing clipper. I think it was a tea trader and it is beautiful as well. And you can just sort of get up and walk about on it. Um, of course, the when we went to London, sure you remember snowmageddon um so i i don't think we were allowed on the cutty side yeah that was that was not the week (laughs) that was not the week to uh go on an entire field no socks (laughs) oh my god yeah i remember that (laughs) yeah why did you not have socks dude because i was (laughs) wow couldn't you have just bought some socks though no because 
Because that would be too. That would make too much sense. So. <laughs> because that would make too much sense. Do you know? What? I was going to come back with something, but I was just like, oh, no, that that was sensible. But... Yeah. First year, man. <laughs> yeah. Those were the days. <laughs> it was so weird, dude. Yeah. Oh my god. Where were we? Cutty Sark, Snowbrigadon. Speaking of boats, Amy, uh, you want to talk to us about some dockyards, don't you? Yeah, so not Devonport this time, which my Amada station is on, but no, let's go to Portsmouth Historic Dockyard, which I found myself going to many times as a kid and as an adult. On the second year Royal Navy module at Plymouth, we are taken to the Historic Dockyard. And I went not only in second year on the module, but also in third year, because I loved it so much, I thought I'd go again. So, where did we go first? The Mary Rose Museum is is great and i also have a similar comparison to the vassa museum in stockholm sweden now the differences are the mary rose is obviously behind like a big a big glass you can still see it really clearly though and the way they've kind of set it out is is still really impressive but when you walk into the vassa museum you're just you're just hit with this massive boat and well, ship, rather, I should say. And you're so close to it. Like, it fills this entire, entire huge room. And you're so close to it, which you don't get to experience with the Mary Rose because you're walking across, like, a platform, right? And it's it's behind glass. Whereas, obviously, you're not allowed to touch the, the ship, but you're a lot, lot closer compared to what you get at the Mary Rose, which... I thought it was really interesting to compare the two. But yeah, going back to um, Portsmouth Historic Dockyard, you've got the Mary Rose Museum, you've got HMS Victory, you've got HMS Warrior, um, and you can go on the Victory and the Warrior to kind of experience life on board. And just to clarify, they're both boats. They are both well, okay, let's yeah, call them the ships. Some of the best boats, Josh. They're some yeah. of the best boats, because yeah. as Corey says, we love boats. We do. <laughs> I won't Why have any of your sarcasm. We're definitely <laughs> referring to them as boats, though, when I think they're more... Ship sounds more, oh, yes, because more glorified a ship, than... A ship can carry a boat, but a boat can't carry a ship. No, you are right, Amy. They, they deserve to be called ships, um, as they are humongous and Corey, come on in with with victory help help me out oh victory is just awesome isn't it yeah uh, it's, I was... it is it's just <laughs> crazy the scale of it is nuts um and i think i always, I always find it incredible that parts of the so when you go really far down some of the wooden beams down there are actually still the original beams because obviously most really... of the ship is um it's replica isn't it yeah, it's not it's not real because it, it needs, you know, it goes through loads and loads of re, not redesigns, but remodels, repairs, right? Yeah. Oh, uh, um, yeah. So things being updated, having to be replaced, you know, it's it is sad that obviously it's not all original, but that's kind of impossible for it to have been. But some of the like core beams, like the spine of the ship, right, are these like <laughs> giant planks of oak, right, that have five probably what like 500 years old or something stupid like they're, yeah. they're very old anyways um and they're still original i think that's just incredible like everything about that ship's incredible i think um i think if you're if you're stuck <laughs> no no you definitely get a sense of the the spatial element on on these wooden sailing ships and if you're studying naval history we would highly recommend going because you see so much of what you're studying. Actually, it brings it to life. You're yeah. seeing the kind of crowded space that the sailors on lower decks would have had to have endured and where they would have like, I think the term is messed, where they would have messed, eaten, um, took their leisure time. And also what I found really interesting was the officers' little cabins, like officers' quarters or whatever you, yeah. would, you would call them. Because it it was nice that they obviously had their own little their own spaces, but even they were, you could still see the cramped nature of it. Yeah, 
and you can of course see where Nelson, blessed be his name, was shot and died and slept and even yeah. had a crap. Um, his toilet yeah. is there too. Yeah. Oh, she's laughing, but um... sorry, no, it's it's the uh, Nelson's <laughs> toilet. It's getting me. Yeah. <laughs> it's so. Um... They really wanted to bring every aspect to life. Yeah. Uh, I have a question though, Corey. So you talk about how they've got the original like boards and planks Some and of stuff. Them, yeah. So so how much of the ship is, so is there a level of the ship which is sort of a recreation then? The whole is ship it... is a recreation essentially. But like, it's... to be to be honest, yeah, the whole But has it is... has it slowly been re... has it slowly is it a slow process of recreating? Has it been recreated around the shell of the original? So they've been replacing bits that were there rather than yeah, just building originally, a ship from scratch. Right? Originally, right? But you got to remember this ship is very old and it's old relatively old even by the time of its famous moment at trafalgar right like it the original ship had the um, you know it being had a lot of work on it even before trafalgar and then obviously you go to um trafalgar and you know there's repairs from the battle that you need to make and and these ships need a lot of maintenance anyways um you know they there's they they're always having to um fix little bits as they go along the lifespan so yeah no there's not there's not really anything original left on the ship from what I remember. But it's sort of the it's main built. Beat. It's, it's just built exactly. It's, an ent- it's like an entity being constantly. But it's built. It's built. It's shape and its size and how it looks is pretty much yeah. exactly the same. I th- okay, I think, yeah. I think the paint job. I can't remember if the paint job is you know still the same as it would have been at Trafalgar. But um, yeah, it's the same sort of model right that's amazing same dimensions and everything like that they can accurately show you where you know where nelson generally would have been for example where the officers generally would have been Hmm. like they it is true to life in that sense it's just not completely original apart from like a couple of the old sort of gigantic wooden beams that make up the sort of spine of the ship right i need to make sure i go there now because obviously i didn't do the second year naval thing because i was elsewhere mm. which we'll be talking about next week but spoilers post covid <laughs> we should take a trip there guys yeah i still not being the warrior so i would like to go back yeah mm. that'd be fun i think if we uh if we could do it, or maybe the end of this year whenever covid lifts june is it i don't know um and if Josh doesn't love boats as much as we do when we leave, we can leave him in Portsmouth Harbour. I, <laughs> I love boats. I I do love boats. I love ships, I should say. I'm just not as good at writing about them as you two. <laughs> but to be fair, we write about the people on them. Yeah, exactly. We don't I'm not really that into the battles and and the shipbuilding and the really like yeah. technical technical side of it, like like that yeah like we said on what are you calling me out for then because <laughs> <laughs> all, all you've done there is show that our work isn't that different apart from you know the location yeah that's yours true yours happens to be on sea mine happens to... i mean that there is a lot more of a difference but it's a very different both are, living environment. both are valuable in their own way different less, so... less polygamous marriages as well how do you know Oh, you've researched it, that's how. I mean, <laughs> I guess we don't know for sure, but I, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> right, okay. Do we want to move on now to talk yeah. about some of the places we've been that has had no relevance to any education and that has just been either for fun, for travel, or for, our well, basically anything that we've chosen to go to which hasn't had a sway on our grades or education oh pompeii talk about pompeii yes please corey mm. so i uh pompeii. yeah in 2019 went to uh rome the before times the before times it's a mystical time this is when you weren't always wearing headphones no and where crowds didn't scare me <laughs> really crowds didn't scare you crowds always scare me to be fair they didn't until rome <laughs> rome okay. is rome in the summer is crowded yeah i'm trying to think of a word that's suitable but i can't really find one it is just nuts honestly if you do get a chance to go to rome i would 
recommend it. Do we maybe not maybe go don't go in the, in the height of summer. Yeah. It's far too hot and there is far too many people. It is bonkers. But anyways. Yes, Pompeii. There's a a load of uh, obviously phenomenal stuff in Rome, but uh, we decided to um, get an early morning train to Pompeii, do a round trip, and come back in the evening. That is not a good idea. Oh, I was going to say, how how easy was that kind of? It's only about an hour and a half, two hours each way. Uh, so the actual train trip isn't too bad, but it's a long day because Pompeii's massive. You know, it's a city, right? <laughs> it's yeah. it's not the full city which is excavated. But I, I, you know, there's nothing original about what I'm saying here or I've got to say, but it is absolutely mind blowing. And I think it's obviously not really our realm because it's basically archaeology, right? Yeah, it is absolutely phenomenal. Phenomenal. The amount of detail you can get from it as well, because obviously you can go there and you can see all these giant old Roman buildings and you can see the mosaics that survive and all these statues and you can walk around the street but you can see things like you know you can see the carriage you can like see carriage marks you know right where oh wow where things have been dragged up the street where mm. people would you can see the little public drinking fountains and you can see the sides have sort of worn down because people have been you know reaching in to get drinks from them you can see little fast food counters they have their own little mackies you know like uh <laughs> wow. like there's little corner shops which have little um they're sort of like bowls and that would have you know held loads of different foods and essentially would have been it's a fast food joint right <laughs> which is phenomenal so one thing i know about pompeii is obviously what happened there and yeah a lot a lot of what people talk about is kind of the bodies or outlines yeah. outlines of bodies that still, so did, what was that like because that because again that's one of those things that happened we i mean we chatted about it happened years ago but then they're yeah. in front of you well they're yeah no that they, they are incredible and I think that's what most people think of, right, um, when you say Pompeii. And for good reason. But I think what I'd kind of like to suppose get across is that there is far more value. Not far more value, but there is also a hell of a lot more value, you know, to be looked at. It shouldn't just shouldn't just picture the um, the plaster casts of the bodies because they, they are eerie, you know. They are eerie and they, you know, are quite can be quite evocative to look at them you know um but is, no, you're right because it was it was a city it was a living breathing city with a lot of history within itself it and just it's preserved so it's incredibly amazing. well right like it's yeah. it's phenomenal that we can see those past the cast of those people and it's it's incredible but it's also incredible how you can see what the city was like and it, it literally is standing do you know what i mean the city is is there and there's so yeah. much of it is intact and it is just absolutely mind-blowing and i think it's i i do think it's something uh some everyone should see in their life if possible and i've, I've been to other romans ruined cities um in cyprus but and they are also incredible but pompeii is just a new level and um you guys should absolutely go yeah and i definitely want to i think Pompeii is also one of these places that it's because obviously so far we've really been talking about museums and heritage sites, but it, it's just a location. So uh, I don't know. I know I've done stuff like that. So I've been to Crete, one of the islands on Greece, uh, of Greece. And mm. instead of there being necessarily a specific museum, there are some places where you have to buy tickets to get into, but you can just go around this place and there's history a lot of it's linked to mythology, so, you know, birthplace of Zeus. Well, one of the 50-ish birthplaces of Zeus that are around, apparently. Sure. But, you know, you've, you've got these places where you can just... And, we, I mean, we've got them in Britain as well, uh, you know, and we just walk by them and think, oh, it's just, Brit it's just where we live, isn't it? But as... It's like Stonehenge, for instance, you drive... Obviously, that's a big thing, but you drive past it. But when, when you're in a different country, you really, and then it's linked to this history that you know so much about, like Greek history, because that's what you said. I mean, Greek history is a big thing in school because of the mythology and stuff. So you see all this kind of, like, you see these cities, these ruins of cities, you see these caves, these places, you see where battles were fought, you see all these kind of places, and you just go, wow, like, this is, this is just 
like sort of in their back gardens really because it's literally but it'll be sometimes be in between housing and flats and stuff and it's just it's it's crazy yeah we do have that stuff in britain but because it's your own country i don't know if you lose it loses its effect we just go oh yeah that's just a thing we have yeah you don't necessarily appreciate it as much as you do obviously when you're say on holiday in another country or you're doing research in another country yeah, I think we'll, we'll we'll probably talk about this next week with when we talk about international travel and stuff. But the, I think there is a case of I know a lot of Americans who've come here and then sp- specifically gone to Britain to be like, oh my god, look at this amazing history. And I think we do that as well because there's so much history in Britain. But I think there's some stuff that we'd walk past that we just go, oh yeah, that's, that's just there. That's just, yeah, you know, that's just there and you talk to these Americans it's like oh my god that's amazing uh, it sort of reminds me of when I went to Epcot in America and you had all these people taking photos in phone booths and I'm just like it's, it's just a phone booth we have them all around it's just like oh no but it's a big deal yeah. to someone else yeah that's a really good point like I used to go to school like I used to go to college like five minute walk away from um, Pontefract Castle which is a was a humongous castle and um, you know it's even in one of the bloody Shakespeare plays uh, has a lining there but like i used to see it like every day <laughs> and it's like i never used to even um it wasn't it wasn't actually a, for a long time basically like a historical object to me it wasn't really a historical site to me apart from like at saint george's day when they used to do as a reenactment stuff like um it is weird how you can um i think at times ignore your own the history around you yet still be so excited about going somewhere else and seeing their history yeah we've got um have you guys heard of english heritage it's kind of like similar to national trust but they've got like loads of castles around the country similar to our national trust have a lot of like stately homes and we've got one just down the road that i didn't even know about and we went like last summer it's um old wardour castle and it's it's quite well well preserved not like obviously the stately homes with the National Trust, but still, you still get a feel for it going round. But I hadn't even really heard or thought about that until we decided to go like last year or the year before, actually now it would have been because we're 2021 now. Um, Heritage is an interesting one though, because there's a lot of buildings that are protected now by historical significance that can't be knocked out yeah you've even got like grade two listed homes and things haven't you you've also got i think my school my old school is one and which you know i lovely you know it's a very lovely historic building but the heating's terrible it always (laughs) is isn't it yeah yeah i mean it's a school (laughs) it's a school building so the the glass the heating's on until i i mean probably june i guess uh the 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 glass windows are about paper thin so it's you know i I mean it's a protected building because it's a lovely building but you just gotta think practically yeah that's probably why we've had about a thousand extensions added to my old school since i left but i remember being sent home once because the school heater was broke and i remember thinking sat there thinking I didn't realize we had heating in the first place. <laughs> like... Yeah, because it's so old. it's so old. When it gets really cold, the pipes just freeze, and like that's it because of because of the piping system, it, the pipes freeze, and then you've got these huge radiators, which yeah, know, and then oh, oh, basically this entire like the entire building, and then I I don't know if it was listed because of something about the tiling, uh, you know those you know the school corridors where you've got tiling that just goes up like a third of, or a quarter of the wall and then the rest of it's just and then you've got all the asbestos bits taken out but oh yes of course it's it's just it, i think that what's always interesting to me is listing listing these buildings is, and you know historical relevance is great but you know you've got these buildings which are listed so historically relevant but then what do you do with them and at what point do they become impractical you look back at it and just go it's not a, it's not the best building to house a school and yeah yeah should stuff be protected for the sake of it like that do you think you know like maybe your school is sort of you know it that's that it does sound cool but you know there are do you think a building should be protected just because it's old i don't know no value does it well well, who uh, determines what value it's still 
it's uh, it's still a uh, it's still a viable building. It still works as a school building. It's just but, no. What is interesting is all the blocks that have been built. So there's a massive there's a block which I spent most of my time in when I was doing GCSEs because all the humanities were in one block, which was built in the seventies. So it's all concrete slabs. And then recently there was the sixth form block added, and then the languages block added. So it's it's a huge school uh, now. I mean, it's a huge school back then, but yeah, but it is still tied to this older building but i suppose that's kind of what makes it stand out hey everyone josh and Corey here from a couple of weeks after this episode was recorded unfortunately for some reason whilst editing we actually couldn't find the ending small hiccups they happen small, they have small hiccups you know we're we, we know we're rough around the edges but you know we're just starting out so so we're just improvising this. <laughs> we are. We're very much improvising this end bit because we couldn't follow naturally from... I think we ended on schools. Schools was the ending of the... Something like that. It was a good chat, though. I think that was a heritage. One. It was about heritage in schools, yeah. So, um, But before we do properly end, I just want to say, you know, we ha- we've had a lot of fun releasing the first episodes. They're out now if you want to check them out. And if you do like them, and if you do like this one, please send it to your friends, get them to listen. We're on Spotify and YouTube as well. There should be a couple more places we're at. But it's in all the important places. It's in all... Where where you get podcasts, we are, basically. Exactly. So, yeah. And, you know, please do give us feedback. Any comments or criticism. We, we're welcome to criticism. We're trying to get better. So, but, you know, constructive criticism because we do have feelings. Yeah. I mean, yeah. we can take a little bit of a beating, but, you know, be be gentle, please. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's not much we can do about the sound of our voices. So. No, I know. And every time I listen back, I despise the sound of my own voice. That's punishment enough, people, I promise you. Imagine having <laughs> to edit it. Yeah, God. Oof. I don't, I don't, do you know what, when I listen to it, I'm like, oh, thank God Corey and Amy are talking, because then I don't have to hear my own voice, but. Yeah, it's the worst feeling, it really is. Yikes. All right, well, you can follow us at the HitCast on Twitter, or follow our YouTube, which is, I think, the same, or just search for the Historians in Training podcast, that's what we are on Spotify as well. And if my editing skills are any good, the outro music should be starting right about now, so thank you for listening. Bye.